You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. What he saw, their sin was as bad as the pagan nations. But despite their sin, they kept up their religious practices. You find this over and over again with the people of Israel. 200 years later, judgment would fall. Babylon would come to power, ransack Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar would. Israel would become ruled by a foreign entity. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, despite the judgment that they experienced, they still did not. Repent. As Pastor Danny continues his teaching series through the book of Amos, he'll be explaining how the Israelites still practice religious rituals and ceremonies, even though they continue to worship idols and live in sin. Sadly, this is going on within the church as well. People are going to church every Sunday. They say their prayers, and they may even read some devotional every morning. But they don't live a repentant lifestyle. God doesn't want any vain rituals from you or religious acts. He wants your heart. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Amos chapter 1 as he continues his message, Amos Overview, a familiar but unpleasant message. Everybody's jobs, doing well, economy, flourishing. But instead of it being the blessing that it could be, what happened? Spiritual apathy, moral decline. Some people wrongly believe that the sin of Sodom, Sodom, which God destroyed by fire and brimstone, that the sin of Sodom was homosexuality. That's not what the Bible says. If you're a note taker, you can write down Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. It tells us there that the sin of Sodom was that they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. The summary of that is they were a very comfortable people in a comfortable culture. Everything was going good economically, but spiritually they were apathetic. They were into their own lives, their own families, their own um, personal well-being. And what happened, what happened in Sodom over a period of time, because of the blessing of the prosperity, they become apathetic spiritually, morally. They begin to go downhill. And over time, that decline in morality manifested itself not just in sexual sin and a party lifestyle and living for now and living for pleasure. It manifested itself ultimately in perversion. And we know Sodom best for homosexuality. 
But that wasn't the root problem. That was a byproduct of the real root problem. They were arrogant. They were overfed. They were unconcerned. I don't know if you pay attention to the culture that we live in. And I'm talking specifically not just about America. I'm talking about where we live in Pinellas County, where we live in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's hard to go anywhere anymore and not see girls holding hands. And it's not because they're bosom buddies at school. It's because they're lesbians. It's hard to go anywhere and not see guys holding hands. Our country is now recognizing that it's okay for them to get married. But worse than that, our country, our country in churches that claim to serve God are actually ordaining homosexuals. The challenge is to love them just like we would love any person out of the will of God and yet not say it's okay. It's not okay. Sin of any kind, of any shape, of any form is not okay. Amos had a tremendous challenge. The economic prosperity, which unfortunately fed the spiritual apathy and the moral decline, that's the culture he had to minister in. Before I go on to the next point, I, I noted and I thought about in my study in Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in history. And only two out of the seven does he have no rebuke for. It's interesting the two he had no rebuke for. One is the church of Philadelphia, and that church, he says, I know you have little strength, but you remain faithful to my name despite your little strength. The second church is the church of Smyrna, and that is the suffering church. I thought about it. And I thought about my conversation Thursday night at dinner in Punta Gorda, Florida, just south of us with Pastor Aaron Smith. He's become a friend of mine. He and his wife spent time as missionaries in Mexico. And I asked him in casual conversation at dinner, do you miss Mexico? Oh, yes. I said, does your wife miss Mexico? And I expected him to say, no, my wife doesn't miss Mexico. But he said, she misses it more than me. And so I probed. You know why they miss Mexico so much? Because they left the comfort and the beauty of the Northwest. He wasn't disappointed to leave the cold of the Northwest in America and follow a call of God and go to Mexico as missionaries. And they left by faith. They did what Amos did. They left security of a fireman's position and, and jobs, and they left, and by faith, they went to Mexico, and he began to tell me about their experience in Mexico and what life there was in the church in Mexico where they served. And the people, if you make a good salary, you make about $5 a day. And he said, though they have virtually nothing, when you come together as a church, the life that they have is amazing. Made me long for that kind of experience. 
But God called them from Mexico, and they're the only two Americans I know that have served in a place like Mexico, and Mexico has sent them out to America. You know it's pretty bad when countries like Mexico are sending missionaries here. And they didn't want to leave. But again, they followed the call of God. Made me think of a Russian translator that I used many years when I ministered in Russia. Young lady, single lady. Somebody sponsored her to go to Southern California and go to Calvary Chapel Bible College. She went. After being there for some time, I happened to run into her while I was out there, and she pulled me aside. And with tears in her eyes, she began to tell me how she had become a bit apathetic, how she didn't have the same zeal that she once had in Russia when she was making $100 a month and had not the comforts of America. And coming here to America, somebody graciously, lovingly provided for her, and she didn't have the money to go back home during holidays. And so people would invite her into their homes, and some of them very well-off Christians. And as loving as they were, it backfired. And she began to fall into the apathetic, apathetic attitude that sometimes we have here in America because of the comforts. So there's Amos the prophet. In the time in which he ministered, it's not unlike the time we minister now. And finally, what he saw, what God showed him concerning Israel. Right out of the gate, he begins to preach. Chapter 1, verse 3, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, that's outside of Israel, that's pagan land. Even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And then begins to mention some of the things they did wrong. Verse 6, he says, for three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Then he begins to mention some of the things they did wrong. Verse 9, for three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Another area outside of Israel. Verse 11, three sins of even, Edom, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Then begins to mention some of the things they did. Verse 13, Ammon, same thing. Three sins, four, I will not turn back my wrath. Begins to mention some of the things they did. Chapter 2, he opens with Moab. Now listen, all these people that are mentioned as Amos is prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel, they would have went, Amen! Those guys are wicked. Amen! They're messed up. Amen! They need to get right. But it's when he gets to chapter 2, verse 4, that their attitude changes and the amens silence. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah... That's where he came from. Even though he's ministering in the north, he's saying, we got a problem too down south where I came from. And then he begins to mention things that God has against them. And then in verse 6, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And then he begins to mention things. And here's some of the things he mentions. Injustice, greed, selfish indulgence, sexual immorality, Problems with alcohol. You could say drugs. 
And at that point, it might have gotten as silent as it did right here, right now. Nobody was amening. Because now the message was for them. Now it got real personal. It's interesting in chapter 2, verse 11, and it's interesting too that as he says, for three sins, even for four, what does that mean? It was a way of poetically saying, you don't just have one problem, you've got several issues. It started with one, but then it, it went to this and that, and, and it spread. And that's what sin does. It starts here, and then it spreads. And it's interesting, he says in verse 11 of chapter 2, I raised up prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your young men. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine. You commanded the prophets not to prophesy. As I thought deeply about that, I thought what God's saying is, I raised up people to speak to you, to try to, to get you to repent and change your ways. So I had people make the message clear, and he says, I raised up people, the Nazarites, and they were the ones who were exemplary in their lifestyles in the midst of a godless culture. He's saying, I gave people to speak to you, and I gave you examples to show you that you can live a godly life in a godless society. What he saw, their sin was as bad as the pagan nations. But despite their sin, they kept up their religious practices. You find this over and over again with the people of Israel. 200 years later, judgment would fall, Babylon would come to power, ransack Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar would, Israel would become ruled by a foreign entity. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, despite the judgment that they experienced, they still did not repent. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 33, they worshiped the Lord but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. They continued up, they continued with their religious practices in regard to the God of Israel, but their lifestyles were anything but pleasing to the Lord. You know what else Amos tells us? They claimed God was with them. Chapter 5 of Amos, verse 14, the last part. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you if you repent just as you say he is. I've met people like that. Clearly living a life that's displeasing to the Lord, and yet they think because they're going to church, keeping up the religious practices, they think they're okay. Ultimately, Amos's message was, if you do not repent, you've got a tough road ahead. God's going to come against you. Judgment is coming. Fascinating to me, Back to the opening verse, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel, two years before the earthquake. What earthquake? The earthquake God sent because they would not listen. He sent a literal earthquake to shake them up, to get their attention so that they might repent. That earthquake was remembered it was so significant, it was remembered 200 years later. You go to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, speaking of yet a future day, verse 3, 
Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north, half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You'll flee, listen, as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Back in Amos chapter 6, God, in trying to get their attention, reminds them of the judgment that he's brought in the past. Chapter 4, I should have said, beginning in verse 6, I gave you empty stomachs in every city, lack of bread in every town. Your budget wouldn't work. Ends didn't meet. And it was God behind it to try to get your attention. Verse 7, I withheld rain from you and the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. Economically, things weren't going well, yet you've not returned to me. Verse 8, people staggered from town to town for water but didn't get enough to drink. I mean, it got serious. Verse 9, many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you've not returned to me. Verse 10, I sent plagues among you. Now you got physical sickness, illnesses. And then in verse 11, as things go from tough to bad to worse, now he says, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. I allowed the kind of tragedy that would wipe out a whole community. And then he culminates. Verse 12, therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this, prepare to meet your God. You're going to die without having repented, and you will regret it for all of eternity. If you think I enjoy teaching on the book of Amos, you've you got a problem. <laughs> I just... It's, it's, I like messages where I can tell a joke you haven't heard, and that's hard to do. I like the ones where everybody leaves feeling warm and fuzzy and like, wasn't that a wonderful time? The things he mentioned in chapter 4, he mentions in Deuteronomy 28, lack of food, drought, blight and mildew, locusts, pestilence and disease, military defeat, ultimately death. He tells them in chapter 6, Go down to Kalna. Go down to Gath and Philistia. Those were two areas that had been devastated by war. His point is, go down there and look and see what happened to them. I don't want it to happen to you. But if you don't repent, it will happen to you. And the idea, as he communicates, is people were saying, well, it happened to them. It won't happen to me. That's apathy. That's foolish thinking. It not only can happen, it will happen. If we fail to hear the voice of God, fail to repent, give in and live like the culture around us, fail to stop standing for truth and living for truth. I love America, but it's where our country is headed if we do not repent. I don't know if you realize the only reason God has not judged America is because of the church. 
is because of the remnant that's still here. I'm not talking about the church with a name on the, the door. I'm talking about the genuine believers that are sold out, and as far as they know, they're living lifestyles that are pleasing to the Lord. God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah before He got righteous Lot out. It's the same principle everywhere. The best thing going for America is the church. We're not strong because of our guns. We are strong because of our God. We're not strong economically because of our human wisdom. We are blessed by God as the greatest nation on earth. But if we continue to go the way we're going, 9-11 was nothing. You say you're a prophet of doom. No, I'm just listening to what the Bible says. Here's what I put at the end of my notes as we close. Listen. The message of the book of Amos is one that can be summarized very simply because it's the same message throughout the whole Bible. Man is innately sinful and easily strays. God calls man to repent of his waywardness. And if he does, God is ready to forgive. And not just to forgive, but to restore. In chapter 7, you can take that off now. I'm just going to do the rest just without the PowerPoint. In chapter 7, he has Amos use a plumb line. What's a plumb line? It's a weight at the bottom with a cord. Used in ancient history, sometimes still used today, but we have other methods of doing this. And what was it to do? You were to hold it up against a wall that you're building. You're building a structure, and you want to make sure, especially, especially as you're starting, that, that things are straight. Because if you don't get it straight to begin with, everything else will go out of kilter. And that plumb line, that plumb line reveals whether you're in line or whether you're out of line. You know what happened in building if it was out of line, if it was out of plumb? Generally, you got to tear the thing down and start all over. If I'm reading Amos correctly, and I believe I am, what God is saying to them, look, if you'll just confess that you're out of plumb, You'll confess it and repent and say, I'm willing to get straight. I'm willing to walk straight again. I'm willing to get back on the narrow path and live according to truth. I'm willing to say no to the sexual sin. I'm willing to say no to what I realize is a selfishness and just focusing on myself. I'm willing now. And I see, Lord, I don't want to be like the culture and I don't want to go that way. And if you're just willing to confess it and repent of it, God's saying, the way I do it, we don't tear the structure down. But we do start over. And God will in that moment say, okay, because you've confessed it, now you got it right. Now we're straight again. Now we can start building. And what He wants to build in our lives, He's not trying to trick us. He wants to bless us. He's not confronting us because He doesn't love us. He's confronting us because He does love us. And He's saying, as long as you keep going the path you're going, you're never going to find the blessing that I want to build in your life.
Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. Pastor Danny's study, Gleanings from the Old Testament, will continue next time, so be sure to tune in again. Through this study, you'll meet a variety of characters, some strong in their faith and others not, some who seem to have a massive role in society and others who only have a minor part to play. Each person and each situation have a valuable lesson for you though, and it's worth your time and attention. You can and should learn from their triumphs as well as their failures, and you can take comfort in the one that they all served, your Creator, God Himself. You also have the privilege of seeing the future that they had yet to know. You have the rest of Scripture to dig into as well. Today, we encourage you to read again the passage that Pastor Danny taught on, or turn to another part of the Bible. You won't be disappointed, and God has plenty to tell you on every page of Scripture. It truly is the living Word. If you'd like to explore more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series or others, we encourage you to visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. That website one more time is ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for for today. We'll continue walking through the Old Testament next time, right here on The Living Word.